0: Welcome back to For You and For Me, an alternative way to listen to Monsignor Kieran Harrington's homilies. My name is Dave Plisky, and first off, I just want to apologize for missing last week. Monsignor didn't give a Sunday Mass and was unable to record for us. This past Sunday was the 27th Sunday in Ordinary Time. The first reading is Isaiah's poem known as The Song of the Vineyard. The second reading is part of a discourse from St. Paul to the Philippians on joy and peace, And finally, the Gospel reading from Matthew is Jesus' parable of the tenants. Monsignor talks about how ominous these texts are, and he explains that what they're really getting at is understanding what our relationship with God is really like and focusing on having the faith to keep improving it. This isn't easy, but let's be encouraged that no matter where we are in our journey, Jesus won't give up on us.
1: Today we are very blessed because we are going to have a baptism of little Josephine. And we will also have the anointing of the sick, or what was called extreme unction, which generally was considered the last sacrament that people received before they were to die. And I think it's appropriate that we have these two sacraments as we listen to these readings today. The readings, I think, uh, when I was reading the readings and preparing for Mass, I kept thinking of the book, The Grapes of Wrath. Maybe some of you have read it because when I was a kid in high school everyone had to read John Steinbeck and of course one of his classic books, a big book, is The Grapes of Wrath. It's the story of a family from Oklahoma right after the Great Depression that lost its farm and had to move to California. I think about uh, that book because if you remember, the roaring 20s is the setup. The 20s were a time in in the United States where everybody had money. The big joke was that the shoeshine boy was making money because even he was invested in Wall Street. Everybody had money. And then it all came to an end with the Great Depression. The people, the protagonist of the book, they were farmers. The man had gone to jail. And as a result of his going to jail and the the, the drought that took place in Oklahoma, they lost their farm. They lost everything. Everything was lost to them. And in fact, the very end of the book is an image of a woman who has lost her child. And with little breast milk she has, she feeds a dying man. To show you the desperation of the people in the movie and the book, The Grapes of Wrath. Something you should definitely see. I think about that in this context, because The scriptures are very ominous for us today. Isaiah, in the fifth chapter of Isaiah, we have to understand the mentality. When Isaiah was writing, the first few chapters is actually a legal indictment. Isaiah is legally, under the law of Moses, indicting all the people of Israel for a lack of faith. Everyone is indicted because For the people of Israel, it's not me and God, it's we and God. We are a nation. And everyone was being indicted because there were not ten righteous people in the kingdom. And so we think about ourselves in this context. Notice what Jesus, what we're hearing in the scriptures, God is doing. You know, my family, my mother, and I think Father Charlie's family are from the west of Ireland, right, Charles? you go to Ireland, the west of Ireland, maybe you've seen some pictures of the west of Ireland. It's very much like the Holy Land. And when you see images, you see these beautiful gable walls, these stone walls, and they're surrounded by a lot of green. And it looks very picturesque. But in fact, if you think about, those walls didn't just appear. Those stones were in the earth. And the people had to dig with their hands. There were no tools. There were no They had nothing but their hands. And they would dig out the rocks and align them as walls so that they could have just little land to farm. Notice God is saying that's how he is with the people of Israel. He spares nothing for the people of Israel. He gives them everything. Not only does he care very diligently for the vineyard, but he even erects a tower to prevent anyone from invading. That's how great is his care for the vineyard. The vineyard, of course, is the image of Israel. And still, despite everything that God has done, the vineyard does not produce fruit. And so notice what he says. It's going to be completely destroyed, completely wiped out. I think this is important for us because we have to be concerned about God's judgment. You know, we basically have a notion of God's love, but we look at that as like a sentimental type of thing. God's love also involves justice, to give a right? In other words, that if I reject God, God respects my free will in rejecting him. And so therefore, as I reject him, I don't have the power of God which is a part of my life. I think that for the people of Israel, as it is for today, there are basically four types of people. First is the person who believes in God and walks with God. This is the type of person maybe we all aspire to be. I listen to the Word of God and I try to put the Word of God into effect in my life. Then there is the type of person who listens to the Word of God, believes in God, but not so much walking with God. Then there is the type of person who really, fundamentally, does not believe in God, but kind of goes along with the program as a religious type person. Maybe for cultural reasons we can't understand. And lastly is the type of person who rejects God, and that rejection is lived out in their life. These are the four types of people that we can basically see. Now the prophet Isaiah is speaking primarily to the people who believe and are walking the walk, and he's speaking also to the people who believe and are not walking the walk and the people who really don't believe but are kind of religious, because he's saying to them basically, repent, turn away from this portion of your life. This is why Isaiah is called the suffering servant. Jesus then offers us another companion parable. It's important for us to understand the context of this 21st chapter of Matthew. The first part of this chapter is Jesus enters Jerusalem triumphantly. He's coming to the end of his ministry. The first thing he does, after all the people hail him, (coughs) is he goes to the temple. When he gets to the temple, what does he see? He sees the money changers. We've talked about why there are money changers. There were money changers because the people of Israel can't have idolatry, no images. What was the coin? The coin was a Roman coin with the Roman emperor. And so they had to take their coin with the Roman emperor, change it for Jewish money, take the Jewish money, buy the animal sacrifice, and offer the sacrifice in the temple. And guess what? If there are any business people here, you know everybody was taking their vig. Everyone got their vig. And you know who got hosed? the poor person. So Jesus is indicting the people, saying, look at what's happening here. This worship of God is being perverted. Everyone's getting their vig, and the poor are being exploited. Jesus then goes on to tell the story, of course, of the parable of fig tree. He's Walking by the fig tree, you hear it, he walks by, he goes to take a fig off the tree, there's no fruit on the tree, and he says, wither, and the tree withers. Of course, This is people like you and me, people of faith, people who believe, but our faith is really not producing fruit. Now then, we hear this part of the parable. The parable we heard last week was the parable of the two sons, the one who hears but does not respond, but the one who takes action, the one who is faithful who maybe rejects the word when he first hears it, but ultimately goes about his father's business. So now we hear the summation of it all. That in this parable, we're hearing about the betrayal of what God has done. Now here's the thing. This parable is ominous. But I offer you this thought. Consider that you were the owner of this vineyard. You built it. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. It's everything. It's an extension of who you are. We are an extension of who God is. We are created in his image and likeness. And so what does he do? In justice, he sends out first his servants. What do they do to his servants? They kill them. What would you do? Your immediate reaction would be, you take from me, I take from you. You destroy him right at that point. But that's not what God does. God sends his son. This is, a, this is an irony here in the scriptures, that so generous is God, so patient is God with us, that he sends his son to you and to me in order to ransom us. Today, the scriptures should fill us with a bit of fear. Fear is a good thing. You know, when I was a little kid, I remember running out across the street, and my mother grabbed the whole of me and swallowed me. I know that's not politically correct. But she gave me a beating, said, don't do that. And what happened? I knew when I got out into the street to take a look this way and to take a look that way. I learned a lesson. Pain teaches us a lesson. Fear sometimes teaches us a lesson. I think God doesn't do that to us. But we can take a look in natural events to see somehow how God's plan is unfolding. Think about the last few weeks. You know, there was a terrible hurricane that affected Houston. Then a terrible storm that affected the Puerto Rico and Florida. An earthquake that affected Mexico. And then last week, the terrible shooting in Las Vegas. Now, I am not saying that God does this, because God does not will evil. But I will say that these things happen because of evil in the world, which we have invited in because of sin. The first kind of evil we think about is called ontic evil, evil which is natural evil, this evil of storms and hurricanes and that sort of thing, the evil of illness that comes into the world. Why? It comes in because we've rejected God and so we don't live in paradise with him anymore. And still God manifests his power in the midst of this on evil, in the midst of this natural disasters, in the midst of these calamities. What do we see? We see it in the heroism of individuals. Then there is personal evil. This is the evil that you and I do. Our rejection of God in terms of how we live our life. And still we see that on display in Las Vegas. The evil of a man. What then is the Christian response? And this is the challenge for us. You see, the immediate response would be vengeance and retribution. But as Christians, the challenge is for us to pray for that man and to love him. How do you love somebody who does evil? Well, this is, of course, what Jesus does for you and for me. He loves us despite the evil that we might have done. And in loving us, he ransoms us. The 21st chapter of Matthew, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and his final mystery of, and his ministry, of course, the summation of all of that is in the cross, in what Jesus has done for you and for me on the cross because of how much he loves us. But the challenge of brothers and sisters for us is to not simply say, yes, I believe it, but not walk the walk, or maybe kind of piously go along with things for the sake of my children or because of my parents or because of some cultural affinity. We're called to listen to the Word of God and to put it in effect in our life. And we see the Word of God being put into effect in our life by the fruit of our lives. And what's the fruit? Well, the fruit is seen in our administration, our ministry, our charity, our love especially for those who are most vulnerable in our world. Today we have a very beautiful example of God's grace. First he will take this little girl, Josephine, and make him his daughter. That now she shares the life of her parents, Catherine and Ed. But soon she will share the divine life. Her life is radically transformed. She's been given a vocation, a calling by God to accomplish a great purpose, a purpose which I do not know, but only that God will reveal to her. And we are blessed to have the anointing of the sick. You notice the sacraments when you come up. Why does God anoint the sick? We speak about healing, but the healing is not the natural catastrophes. The healing is a spiritual healing that takes place in the lives of those who receive His grace. We can pray to God in the midst of natural catastrophes, in the midst of evil, but then we're like the people of Israel who prayed to God because they were expecting the impending evil of of being annihilated by their opponents. God rejected their prayer because it was not sincere. And so, for you and for me, sincerely, we listen to the word of God, we seek to put it in effect in our life, and we see the manifestations of that, not here, but when we walk through those doors. May God bless you.
0: For You and For Me is brought to you by DeSales Media Group. Ask us questions by tweeting at Monsignor H or by emailing podcast at desalesmedia.org. Until next week, for Monsignor Karen Harrington, I'm Dave Plisky, and these are his words to live by, for you and for me.